So, good morning. I'll try to be your second morning coffee and keep it uh, energizing. First of all, I'm very humbled and honored. Thank you, Nicholas, for including us in this panel as moderator. As brokers, it's great to moderate. Usually, we're asked a lot of questions, so today we will ask the questions. Uh, so, it's refreshing. We have a great panel today. All these people have made a fantastic career in shipping um, and really a fantastic progression. So I'm sure they will share quite some valuable insights with most of us today. So let me just quickly go through it. So let's start with, of course, Gary Vogel here as CEO of Eagle Bank, uh, and then Carlos Peña from CTM, and Edward Battery from Taylor Maritime, and then, of course, William Fairclough that you all know and you are all um, very familiar with, Wakong. So we have a mix of private and stock-listed companies, and we have, in the middle, an operator who's going to be bombarded in questions uh, more than the owners, I'm sure. So um, first of all, I will go through a very quick overview of dry bulk. Um, I will keep it very brief. It's going to be four minutes max. It's just to put the discussion of today's panel in the context of the market at the moment. I guess I have to use this. So, a few words. Ifco Galbraiths, you know, we have just merged. We're very proud of it. It was a lot of hard work, worked very well. Galbraiths is, of course, a very traditional UK ship broker that has, uh, you know, moved in the years to be very, very competitive. We're very proud of it. And secondly, uh, let me also uh, quickly speak about the team behind us. Uh, if I can speak today, it's also thanks to the excellent people that we have, uh, both in the research team and sustainability. We do invest, we do invest, we do dedicate you know, our earnings to, to really groom up people on research and sustainability to guide us. We like to be better informed, otherwise we would be blinded and mute with the clients. So that's, uh, you know, a big thanks goes to them from me. Um, now, let's go to the core of uh, these few slides. It's, uh, you know, after the disruptions of COVID, it was uh, very, very much a question mark what would happen next, and, and the demand keeps on growing. So the demand has been extremely good for the last uh, year and keeps steady at the moment. Um, so all goes well here. Um, apart on the grains, which for different reasons also linked to the war, the, the ton mile is actually down a bit. On the other commodities, the ton mile is actually very positive. So, you know, from my perspective, even seeing the activity we do, the volumes are great. We, fix, we keep on fixing actually higher volumes every year. Um, so that's, that's a good sign. Now, the freight rates are weaker, and this is a five years range you see here. And as you can see, 2023 is at the bottom of the range. So, you know, we're wondering why. We have demand, which is very good, and the freight rates, which are not really great. So some of the answers are on this slide. Um, we have two main factors. Uh, one is the fleet change, which has, at the moment, the fleet change is not really, um, you know, a, a great signal for the market. And the second one is the global congestion. As you may know, um, you know, during uh, post-pandemic, the disruptions have been huge, and there was, you know, big, big congestion in every port. And, you know, just as a matter of an example, the Capes on average were staying in China about 12, 14 days, and now they're staying probably between three and four. So this artificial supply has been, you know, missing in the last year and a half, two years, and that essentially 
made the market more supplied and, and, and oversupplied at times. Um, for every cargo you put out there, there are vessels offering. At the same time, the, the flow of, of fixing is very good. So we don't expect either uh, you know, going down from here because the, flow, the flows are very good. So uh, just the last slide really to recap a little bit. Um, the, the situation that we've put here some, some bull uh, flags and some bear flags. Uh, obviously you see the four charts are for the four uh, main sizes that, uh, that are on dry bulk uh, traded every day. So the demand uh, is up year on year, as we said, and there is strategic restocking uh, from China. This is a very interesting um, element and probably one of the you know, most interesting ones uh, because China is thinking in geopolitical terms rather than merely economic terms. Um, and then at the same time, we get more supply, less congestion, and of course, the doom and gloom feeling that we all feel with this uh, recession, uh, because we have to call it a recession, uh, and whether it's, uh, you know, it's going to be a protracted recession or not, that uh, we will see. Now, I'm already done with those slides. It was just to put it in context of the, today's panel, so I would uh, move on to the first questions uh, for the panel. Uh, and we will go through the four of you, if you don't mind, so at least we hear your thoughts on it. So, do you think the dry bulk market will go past the macroeconomic turbulence we're living in and the relative weakness of the Chinese ec economy? Can we start with William? Thank you, Manu. At least I get to go first, so then they, they answer all their questions for them. Uh, but I probably won't, uh, given the experience on the board, and I'll probably miss something. But I think in terms of China, it's quite interesting because you look at the numbers, and you just touched on it there, iron ore, coal, grain, I think they're all record years, year to date, into China. So there's no problem with the demand. I sort of feel like um, the sort of mood is towards maybe more of a softer landing, generally, in terms of economics. Um, and I think there's a default optimism within the market. So we've had quite a rough year to date. It's been a pretty bad summer, but asset prices haven't dropped as much as the freight rate suggested they should have done. And I think just um, the, the indications um, that things are getting slightly better and that the economic situation may be not as bad um, as, as people feared, a sort of softer landing, we've already seen that reflect in asset prices going back up. So I, I sort of sense that people are looking past the next, uh, you know, six, uh, 12, 18 months and focused on the broader supply issue, which I think is quite, is, is much more optimistic. And you look at the 2008 block of ships, and we all remember those days when there were so many bulk carriers ordered uh, between 2006 and 2012, and these were the heady days of a broker, you know, the, the glory days. And that, that was 15 years ago, believe it or not. So those ships are suddenly um, uh, approaching a, a stage where they can't participate in certain trades. And I think that broader supply um, issue is, is, is sort of underpins th this default optimism that I, that I see. And occasionally the market we, we, we know has a default sort of pessimism. But at the moment, you know, I think people are willing to look past the, the, the current situation, which is, which is pretty clear. Yeah, thanks. And then makes sense. Maybe Edward? Thanks. Uh, hi. Um, I, I am totally in agreement with you, Will. Um, this year, uh, disappointed in terms of demand and growth in China. Um, they've been vocal and public uh, about their desire not to just throw money at the problem, which historically they have sometimes done. Uh, they're planning for a longer-term 
deep-rooted uh, recovery in their economy that isn't reliant on a new development um, in first, second, and third-tier cities, uh, and to plan long-term recoveries in economies like China's, you need to have recoveries in all tier of cities, and that takes a hell of a long time. Um, and they have been uh, investing stimulus money in the economy since the end of Q1 uh, this year, and it takes a long time to filter through the economy. Um, short term, uh, we're seeing a recovery now in rates. Uh, I've been looking at Panamax FFAs this morning, and they're all bidding up a little bit. Um, and that's been the that's been the sort of trend in all across all segments over the last uh, few weeks. Handy size rates we were trading at six thousand, seven thousand dollars a day only a month ago, and um, I'm not going to tell you because obviously we're outperforming the market. Tell all my shareholders that. Uh, but you know it's ten, eleven thousand dollars a day. Um, Pacific's lagging a bit. We expect some seasonal weakness as always over Christmas, Chinese New Year, etc. Um, but next year. The outlook is relatively optimistic, and that is reflected in the S&P market. Uh, brokers in the room will know that we sold some Ultramaxes uh, at Grinrod recently, um, and we were not short of bids. Uh, we've sold some older handies. We're definitely not short of bids on those. Um, rates in the last month have not reflected where prices are, and that, un that shows uh, an underlying positivity in terms of uh, demand growth for next year. We don't need China to boom because actually there aren't really enough ships over the next few years coming and demand compounds and always always has been growing really. So 9% um, of the fleet in handies is over 25 years old. 5% of the ultra fleet supermax is over 25 years old. It doesn't take a lot at this point to see a dramatic rise in rates. Um, decongestion didn't help but is slowly coming back a little bit. We've got the Panama Canal. Um, so buy Taylor Maritime stock. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Edward. Um, Carlos, from your perspective as an operator and, and tramping a fleet uh, in both basins, uh, where would you say that you, you have felt uh, a difference uh, with the past? Uh, I think the, the, you know, the, the handy Supra have been particularly volatile in the next three years, in the last three years, sorry. And, you know, we had disruptions before with the Supra essentially trading higher than any other asset class. And now, gone back to, to a normal pattern. What, what can you comment on that? Well, well, I think it's on the handies and supers, we have a lot of influence on container. You saw the rate on containers were great in 2021, and, and that definitely have an influ, influence on the, on the rate on the smaller ships. But today, you, you presented on the slides, the volumes are there. We don't have any difficulties to fix ships. I mean, the rates are just poor. They are, I don't think we have idle days. On, on our fleet, we, on, on the super, as you're saying, we run 60 ships. I think we have close to 97, 98% utilization. And that couple of points is just cleaning the ships. So uh, volumes are there. Uh, answering your original question, I think the market will improve. We just don't see it today, to be honest. Uh, I think there is probably too many ships coming from all those days in 2008, 2009, when we were ordering, and the ships are now 10, 12, 15 years old. And it will take a bit of time. China is doing its job. I mean, they are moving a lot of volumes. Uh, we have had difficulties with the war, with the grain trades. We, but the asset prices, as you said, are holding well. I think that is a, is a positive news. But uh, something will have to happen in the, let's say, 12, 18 months, because if not, those prices are going to come down. Clear. Well, Gary, 
you're left with all it's these all elements. It's all been said. <laughs> Good morning. Um, you know, I think I'll take off on, on, on the point that's been made that, you know, we don't really have a demand problem per se in, in that we've had demand growth in, in 21 of the last 23 years, uh, and last year was one of, one of the negative ones, and the other was in the financial crisis. And demand is, demand is, is positive, and, and we've had a lot of dislocations. And, and I think the unwinding of congestion is, is, the, is the biggest one this year. But it really always comes down to supply. And what, we've, what we have now is, is near record low order book and a rapidly, rapidly aging fleet. I mean, the mid-sized segment, which we exclusively focus in, the average age of the fleet is 11.7 years. The record's 11.8, and that was back in 2009 when the order book was 80% of the on-the-water fleet. It's the first time in my career, which I don't even like to say it, 36 years now in dry bulk, where we've had a strong market over the last few years, and the order, we just haven't seen a supply-side response in massive ordering. So I think, you know, clearly there's been areas around demand which have been, you know, uh, frustrating this year, and, and we've seen a contraction of certain, certain ton miles and a normalization. But, you know, we remain really constructive on the market because as this rapidly aging fleet, we've had last year in the mid-sized segment with, with 4,000 ships, eight ships scrapped, just eight ships. And, 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 and this year it's more than double already, but it's still, it's still nothing. So we just haven't had the scrapping over the last five years, and that has to come. I mean, ships over 15 years old, they need to dry dock every 30 months. Another way of saying it is 40% of that fleet over 15 years needs to make that decision whether to dry dock. And as you, as you start, these ships that likely historically would have scrapped at 25, 26 years, which is the historic average, are now at 27 and a half, 30 years and, and, and reaching dry dock. I think we're going to see a significant um, you know, increase in that and, a, and so uh, you know, um, a normalization, if you will, in, in scrapping coming back. Thank you, Gary. And I think uh, you guys, the four of you, summed it up pretty well. Um, that's also a little bit our feeling. And, you know, what we do at Ifco Galbraith, the difficulty for research uh, departments is really not to say what has happened, but, you know, try to guess the future. And here we go with the second question. Uh, what do you think will be the winners and losers of 24 and 25 in terms of segments? Uh, Cape, Panamax, Supermax, and Handys. And why? And, and what ship size would you order today, if at all? And of course, hypothetically. So, Gary, let's start with Gary. Well, of course, Supermax, Ultramax. No, they, no. No. Um, no. I mean, I think, you know, the Supermax, Ultramax segment, the midsize, you know, is, is, it's versatile in the sense that we, we carry both major and minor bulks, and, and about two-thirds of our demand comes from minor bulks. So there's more of a, folk, more of a bend, if you will, to global GDP. Um, whereas the larger sizes, I mean, China's responsible for over 70% of, of seaborne iron ore, you know, demand. So I think it really, the, the focus and that volatility on the larger sizes, a lot of it comes from, from China, both positively and negatively. So I think part of it depends on where, you're, where your focus is. Clearly, global, you know, GDP has been challenged with fiscal policy, um, Russia, Ukraine war, and, and, and a number of other things. We remain, we remain constructive. I think the as we've moved through this year, I think there's more of a, of a general feeling that the, the soft landing, if you will, you know, moderate recession and, and is, is, is most, uh, most probable, uh, which, which bodes well for, for the mid-sized segment. But, you know, I learned a long time ago trying to predict, you know, rates specifically is, is, uh, is a fool's mission. It's very, very difficult. I think it's, it's, it's better to pull back and look at the 
whether does demand outstrip supply um, overall and, and position yourself you know, based on that, and that's what we've tried to do as a company. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Edward, maybe you want to add some words to that? We'll, we'll, okay. we'll put it random. So yeah, yeah, sure. Catch um, so, uh, which, where are the winners and the losers? What would I order? Um, I'm not going to profess to be a CAPE or Nuke expert, but there's a lot of people, uh, friends of mine, buying all overage CAPEs at the moment. But they have significantly more zeros on their bank balance than me <laughs> and uh, a bit more guts. Um, but you know you can buy an overage cape today at not much. Yeah, I mean the, the the downside is is relatively limited if rates come back just a little bit. So for the big boys, that seems to be an area of um, of interest. Uh, there are a few monster orders in the Camzamax and uh, Camzamax segment uh, from Greece. Um, what would I order today? Nothing. Um, maybe a Sunseeker and go on holiday. But <laughs> I can't afford it, and I like exactly. shipping too much. So. Um, what, uh, I mean, we obviously are in touch with yards. You're looking at a really nice Japanese uh, Ultra is still very high 30s. You're looking at delivery N26. And I'm generalizing because obviously uh, a lot of people in this room know yards very well and they tend to find one or two up their sleeve once in a while. But if you wanted to go and make an order of any significance, you're looking at 27 for anything geared in Japan. Um, 20, 2027. You're looking at 33 delivered for a, a 42 or a 40, and you're looking at um, 37 to 39 for an ultra. And actually, in China, prices have come up relatively close to that as well. So, at those levels, you buy a 42, order a 42 for delivery 2027 today. You pay 33 million dollars. You, you know, you need rates if you put 50% leverage on that, and if you want any return, you're looking at mid-high teens. Uh, and historically speaking, you know, that's, that's a big risk, especially since nobody has a crystal ball. We've only got visibility over deliveries for the next two years, two and a half years, and luckily yards are full, so you can make a relatively uh, well-educated guess on what might happen to the market in the next few years if China doesn't completely fall out of bed, and the US, but uh, I wouldn't order anything right now. Clear. Carlos. Well, we just sold, sold many ships, so we are not, we are not on the on the buying mood. Let's say uh, I don't. I agree with you. I think we will not be in ordering new ships at 38 or on ultras or 40 Kansamax or 70 million, 65 million on the caves. It's quite a challenge. Uh, financing is crazy. Interest rates are so high that for us, cash break even are very very high. So going to new buildings at the moment probably is not. Uh, our cup of tea then. I share with you that to guess next year rate is always very challenging. I, I hate it. I, I don't think what, what is going to be, which is going to be the best sector, but probably, probably in view of what is happening this year and the supply will stick on Supras and maybe Capes. I, I will not give away the Cape neither, but uh, all in all is very, for us, the values that the ship has at the moment are quite high. So we will not get involved in anything at the moment. William, can you share a bit more what uh, Wak Wong is thinking at the moment? At the, the Not risk too much, of, of course. At but the just risk of getting lynched, sitting on a panel with three mid-sized, uh, supermax handy size uh, specialists, owners, I think three listed companies. You've got two, haven't you, listed? Yeah, so three listed companies uh, are represented here, all represented by the handy size and supermax. I, I think there's an important point to make that the uh, glory days of recent years, which was driven by 
COVID and what happened in the container market are behind us. And I think you know, that was a very important driver, especially for the handies. And that's you, you know, flipped from being a very big supporting factor to potentially you know, quite a damaging uh, factor in terms of the demand as we see this huge order book for container ships that hasn't really delivered yet. I mean, we, I think it was something like 30% of the total container um, fleet was ordered during, uh, during that COVID period. And none of those ships have actually delivered, and we already heard the sort of cautionary tale that, that freight rates uh, for containers are already very low. So that, that, that's going to start to eat in, um, and it tends to happen on the smaller sizes. Um, it, you know, it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom, but it, if anyone trying to benchmark where we are today with you know, where we've just been, that factor has, has disappeared. And I think, you know, Ed touched on, on the larger ships. There are asset players who are seeing just the common or garden cape size as being a completely neglected size. Um, and, you know, there's actually quite a lot of value there, potentially, if you... As we all know, with the big ships, when they go, they sort of really go. Um, and, and I think, you know, we, we have a lot of Supermax as well, so I'm, I'm not... Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not negative, I'm duly negative on the supermax sector, but I, I just think I'm wary of that, um, you know, of, of, of that demand driver not being there anymore. And so there is, I think, potentially some, some value in the, the larger sizes because they have been neglected. It has become very commoditized. I think the, the, the Newcastle Maxes is controlled by a relatively small number of players, and it's much less opportunity for a sort of traditional ship owner and asset player um, who wants to sort of operate and try and, uh, you know, try and make some something on the margin. You know, it's much more industrialized. Um, so for us, as, you know, more of a traditional owner, when we allocate capital, we, you know, we look for diversification. So it's a little bit different to the, to the people on the other people on the panel. So we, you know, I think new ships are in hot demand. So we have uh, some new buildings which were ordered during COVID that are, that are available now. The funny thing is that it, it, we probably ha have more demand for ships built, oh, sorry, delivered in 2025, 2026 than ships delivered today. So that points, again, to this slightly optim optimistic forward view, but there's a lot of demand for, for the, the newest ships, you know, the most efficient ships. And so this idea of a two-tier market, which, you know, we've talked about for the last 20 years, but I think that's a very... Um, very practical thing. I mean, we have a multi-tiered market with all the data that we crunch these days. Then, you know, there's nowhere to hide for ships that are much less efficient than the other ships. And, you know, this, this week in London International Shipping Week, we talk about the market, but geopolitics and the environment and the environmental and energy transition are two huge parts of, um, you know, what, what, what is being talked about. And those will have an impact um, on, on the dry belt market. Well, you clearly knew my, my next question then, because... <laughs> The next question is on marine, you know, as the main source of propulsion, will it be the same, you know, will fuel be the main, main propulsion system in, in 10 years' time, 15 years' time, or 20 years' time? I mean, of course, the other panels have touched upon this, so maybe just quickly from a commercial perspective, what is your gut feeling? Tell yeah, me? I mean, my just opinion on it, to just not go over ground that's already been covered, is that there's not enough thought about the impact on cargo. And I think that will happen before we have an impact on our fuel. And if we look at Cape Size and Camzamax, I think Cape Size, it's where nearly 50% is coal, and, and, and Camzamax, I think guess it's maybe about 50% people in this audience will know. I think Supermax is 25%, Gary, something like that is coal, is it? A little less than 20. About a less than 20. I personally believe if you look at the energy transition and you go back to first principles, and I sat on a panel yesterday and we had four green hydrogen makers representing you know, most of the green hydrogen that's made in the world today, 
and three of them were not even aware that maritime had a potential demand for uh, green hydrogen. Th that tells you everything you need to know is they have a lot of markets that they will be looking to address before transport and shipping is a subsector of transport and I don't want to be negative about the transition we're you know doing what we can and you know there are many different factors to that and this is not the panel we're here to just talk about but by the time that is a realistic alternative on the fuel side where we're talking about you know net zero fuels then there's going to be no coal being moved about if uh, the transition happens in a logical and market-driven way, and I believe it probably will. Thanks for that. Can you maybe, let's start with Gary, maybe a little bit your view on, you know, on fuel propulsion and, and what you're doing for it and what sure. you're thinking ahead? Yeah, I mean, first, just to go back, I mean, you know, conventional fuel can't be the dominant fuel in, in, in 20 years if we're going to meet any of these targets. And, and uh, Knud earlier said, you know, it's, it's definitely a challenge. But as we move forward, as, as, as the technology and the fuels become available, we need to, we need to move as quickly as, as possible if we're going to get there. I mean, what we're doing, and, and I know you've heard this from other, other owners, right? We're doing everything we can to make our ships as fuel efficient as possible. I mean, we're constantly, uh, you know, trialing new, new hull coatings. We're using robotic skates to clean. clean. We're, we, uh, we partnered with, with a company, um, on, on using you know technology and weather buoys that we're helping to to put in put in place off of our ships uh, for better better weather routing, um, and it's it's a win-win of course for the bottom line fuel saved, but also from an emission standpoint. And whether you're saving you know emissions today or the future, it, 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 a ton saved is a ton saved. So it's all of those things. I mean, we are also you know in a, in the in the mid-size uh, spot in a tramp business, so we don't have set routes. And so the fuel supply chain is, is going to be the, the bit, probably the biggest determinant of when we can order um, next, tech, next generation, you know, called zero emission ships, because we don't, you know, 10 days before our ship finishes discharge, we don't know where we're going to on, on almost all of our voyages and called on 400 different ports uh, last, last year. So I think what's really critical is to have clarity for us that it, it can be a decision that, that, that's based in, on economics as well, and, I, and we believe we'll get there. So our focus is, you know, going back to the last question, what ship would you order? The answer is none. Uh, also partly because we, we think the tail risk of that is, is, is massive. It's about focusing, I mean, we've, we've all the ships we've purchased we're, we're, are focusing on kind of the, the, the three, to, three to six year old, right? Um, highly efficient ultramaxes, um, you know, 50 of our 52 ships are scrubber fitted as well. Um, all with a view to, you know, be in a position where those ships will be 80% through their economic life in 2035 versus a new building today, which is only going to be a third through its economic life. We just don't think that that risk-reward is, is where we want to be. And, and, and we think it'll come into the clarity will come over the next few years where we can position ourselves, you know, to then look at what we'll order next. Thanks, Gary. Carlos, just a little bit of insight from you. You're yeah. operating actively the, the ships. Yeah. What do you think about, you know, I guess you're targeting eco ships as well to operate. And yeah, that, that, what do you that, think about the future? The, the, I think answering next 20 years, yeah, we will not be consuming what we are consuming today. But I think there is a gap between that logistic imports, as you were saying, mainly on the smaller ships that go to 400, 500 different ports need to be ready. And that is, let's say, not a job of the owners. It's more... Uh, the, the politician behind this one. Uh, we will have a gap between now and, well, I don't know, 2030, where the uh, conventional energy, very fuel efficiency, and the data will be the new fuel. I mean, information. 
guidance, intelligent artific artificial intelligence, whatever will improve the, the performance of the ships and in parallel will, will uh, send less emissions to the, to the environment. The, the, the view of CTM and one of the reasons why we also sold the Goodpal fleet is uh, there are going to be a couple of different tiers of ships. It will be the, the, the all ships that will be consuming. If you compare, for example, a Cape that uh, was built 10 years ago with a new building, you have almost 30% different in terms, uh, in terms of performance, which is a lot of CO2 also. So add to that data information, uh, digitalization, and the, the shipping industry will collaborate, collaborate with NAF by 2030. Then the next step going to 2050, uh, then we need something else. And I, I don't think it's on this panel discussion, to be honest. Clear. Edward, how do you, you, know, how do you tackle fuel transition in Taylor Maritime? Do you look at it um, thoroughly? Do you think about it in the, in the long term? What can you tell us a bit about uh, that? Thanks. I, um, we, f so let's uh, start. We, we focus on the low-hanging fruit in terms of the easy wins and the small gains. When Taylor Maritime is not going to change the world when it comes to what we burn and where we stem fuel from. One of the biggest challenges that uh, an industry like the geared sector faces is infrastructure supply. So, um, and, and that's, I think, we're at least a decade away from even knowing what the long-term solution in terms of fuel is. If you ask um, yards and, and other owners, most of them kind of think ammonia, probably. Uh, but the, the reality of the matter is um, handies carry food, and food shortages is something that will destabilize global economic markets far more than what fuel we burn. And uh, my director of ESG has just walked in. He's going to hate me for saying this. But ships actually burn less fuel per ton than anything else in the world, and we have the most efficient way of transporting goods in bulk. Um, don't print that, please, anyone. Um, but uh, so Taylor's not going to reinvent the wheel. We're looking at uh, monitoring uh, emissions, data, paint, everything Gary mentioned. Um, and we're going to leave the industry changes to the boys with the big balance sheets, boys and girls with the big balance sheets. Um, yeah. Yeah, thanks. And, and just a quick comment uh, on, on, on your replies, on your answers now. Uh, what we see from our perspective as brokers, we see that there's been a lot of money in the industry in the, couple, in the last couple of years, right? Made on containers, on tankers. And, and to, you know, to that point, nobody really looked at new building. There is a lot of activity on second hand, and there is a lot of activity on energy-saving devices. And in, a, you know, in really doing an effort on the fuel side, and I think we have people who are uh, obviously more proficient than me in that, but the fuel is improving every year of some percentage, and that, that has to be accounted. So the, the norm now that we see in the market is investments in energy-saving devices, in weather routing, as you're, you're doing, Gary, and, and not yet there to, to really take big steps on, on new technologies. Um, now, there is, though, uh, you know, first of Jan, there is the EU ETS scheme, which is going to kick in. It's a reality. Uh, you know, we're, we're also doing a lot of homework internally to make sure that we as brokers are prepared to explain it, to understand it, and to really guide the clients. Uh, it is a serious uh, matter. Now, how do, you, how do you work around it? Do you monitor your emissions already? Are you using third-party systems? Are you using your own systems? What steps have you taken? Because, of course, due to, to the political framework, this is going to be a necessary um, thing to, to apply and to comply with. Can we start with uh, Gary, maybe? Sure. I mean, 
and we report on our, on our emissions. Um, in terms of getting ready for EU ETS, um, the practical things are opening a trading account and things like that. But I already mentioned, you know, we're, we're effectively a spot, spot uh, you know, player. And so in that regard, you know, our trading to the EU is going to be very much dictated by being paid for the costs that are involved with going to the EU. I mean, it's not dissimilar from the discussion in 2019 when all we talked about were scrubbers and will you get paid for it? And I said the same thing. If we don't get paid for going somewhere or we can't use a scrubber, we won't go there unless we're paid more for more expensive fuel. And it's going to be the same for, for Europe. I mean, it's simple. If Europe is going to have to pay for this cost, or at least companies like ours that don't have set contracts into the EU will trade elsewhere. And so I think the market will be quite rational in that regard. It, now, I think it, it, it becomes a bit more difficult and nuanced when you have long-term contracts and, and, and you need to go and then who's going to pay for it. But as a, as a spot player, it, it's, it's quite um, an efficient, I think it'll, it is an efficient market and, the, and, the, and the, uh, the freight will price accordingly. And of course, our, our more efficient ships, the newer ships are going to be able to, to trade to Europe more effectively because that incremental cost is going to be less. You know, we, we have so many regulations over the past that, that come into effect, and, and often, you know, there's talk about, you know, ships are going to be sitting. I, I remember the first EcoZone, people said there's going to be, you know, a thousand ships sitting off wait, waiting for low sulfur fuel, and shipping figures it out pretty quickly. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll have some teething pain, uh, you know, pains and things like that. But it, I think uh, very quickly, it's just going to be another, another thing in the past that we deal with. Um, I would say, you know, these, these regulations all, you know, point towards larger organizations um, becoming more efficient, being able to deal with them. It's just, you know, wh whatever it is, right, you need scale in order to deal with, with all these things on, on an appropriate basis. And, and I think that's only going to increase as we go forward. Thanks. Carlos, just a quick question for you. As an operator, I guess sometimes you have to sell freight to void charters. Are you, are you thinking about strategies of maybe using also the carbon credits in order to manage your exposure, in, in, at least in EU? Yeah, yeah. We, we are thinking as on. We, we are prepared already. Uh, the discussion is if you can rely on the charters or not all the time. I guess if you go with A A1 accounts, you will not have an issue. Maybe with somebody is not Tier one, let's say you will have to be on top and try to do it yourself rather than the, the possible to, to them. But I, I agree with Gary as well. This one is, will be very, quite simple. I think we are just complicating the things. It's not going to be more difficult. You have the fish and ships coming to Europe. Then it will be a Europe problem that maybe will not be so competitive because you are adding a tax and, and the, the, the goods here are going to co cost more. We will be paying more for the light. So it, it is going to be a more... What, what I hope is we don't, don't start to have different ETSs in America, China, Australia, because then it becomes messy. <laughs> and if we go to that direction, it's a little bit more complicated. But I think charters are already prepared for, for it. The people who have uh, their COAs coming to Europe, they are considering the, the, that factor. If you are pricing next year cargos, that is an, an, an item like in years back, I remember when I was doing containers, was the banking adjustment factor. That is more or less the same. So it's not going to be too complicated. Might be, as I said, that specific more fuel efficient ships will be in this area rather than in the sure. others. Uh, Edward, what are you doing in terms of emissions? How are you monitoring them? Do you have an internal system already in place? Do you, do you have a third party that you use just to, to understand how you, you think about monitoring all that? And we, uh, 
we, we use a third-party monitoring service, uh, and we feel that uh, in the coming years, data collection is going to be critical to the next step in improving emissions. Um, so, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and I guess your ships mostly are out on time charter, so I guess it's more a question of agreeing the clauses that make sure that, you know, that the, the, yeah. the tax is taken care there of. There was a point, uh, there were several moments over the last few years where we basically couldn't fix through certain periods of time because there were no agreed clauses. Um, but now we're, you know, we're working well with our long-standing partners. Um, and luckily, um, a lot of those partners of ours, uh, major shipping companies um, and, um, and trading houses, you know, we, we do, you have to have a partner who you trust to behave in a certain way. And we're lucky on the handy fleet uh, that we have partners that like that. And, and if we have a clause that it, it isn't necessarily that clear, I have faith in the CEOs of those companies or the heads of the dry freight departments that we're going to find a way around it that's mutually beneficial. Um, so, yeah. Clear. Thank, thanks for that. Sure. William, what's your view there on emissions, uh, quickly, maybe to have your it, point of view? I think Gary's right that uh, it creates a premium, um, premium paying area. But I, th I think the factors that contribute to that, uh, one I would add, is the idea of getting an EU bank account uh, may seem pretty um, sort of banal sitting here in Europe, but within Asia that's not the case. And that's actually quite a major um, barrier for some people to, uh, it, it may be the ship manager that needs the bank account, but you need to open a trading account. You need to have, I mean, we're having to open a, an EU bank account. And as well, when we didn't actually have one, we, we, we sort of have found one actually. And, and that is an essential part of the process of registering. And for a huge number of Asian entities, that's they don't want to be part of the potentially, you know, sort of within the EU taxonomy. So what that means is it's not that there won't be enough ships, but there may be less ships willing to enter into the EU um, ETS than, you know, currently there are now. And that will just contribute to this idea of a, of a premium paying thing. I think we're using a third party service to monitor emissions, and I think that will probably become, uh, you know, a, gr much, a growing industry. I mean, data, there's so many different vendors selling all sorts of different things. You have to pick your way through that, and it's a bit of a maze. But I think the ETS has given a catalyst for a lot of these guys to sell something that actually has quite a lot of value. Sure, thanks. And, and as Gary said, I think it's very interesting to say, you know, shipping has always figured it out. And I remember, you know, agreeing clauses one and a half year ago, where basically the clause was really a gentleman agreement. And essentially the clauses have now evolved to being, you know, more, uh, more, more to the point and, and more binding because people do partner in shipping and at the end of the day, that's what we do. Now, just, we have one minute and it's gonna be a very fast reply on, you know, for the future, what will prevail for you as, as you know, as a manager, as a managing director, CEO? Will it be digital or human talent? Just quickly, so at least we have a last snapshot from you. So human talent here. Yeah, Carlos? people, 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 people. Is yeah. the main us. Same. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, I think you, you need both. I mean, you can't yeah. choose. That's a rubbish <laughs> choice to make. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. Uh, I'm th we're 34, 34 seconds to go, Nicolas. I, we did a good job, you know, despite my Italian roots. We kept it on time. Thank you very much. The panel has been really great. Thank you for thanks. participating. To